millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, listen to this. In the midst of a housing crisis, government policy is blocking people from building their own home with their own money on their own land. Allowing one-off housing in rural areas may not solve the emergency, but it seems bonkers to stop development at a time when there are 62,000 people on the social housing waiting list. So wrote my guest this week, Irish Examiner Deputy Political Editor Elaine Lachlan in her politics column last Tuesday. Elaine, you're very welcome, but I'm shocked. <laughs> is it that shocking, Mick, is it? <laughs> well, maybe I'm easily shocked. One-off housing, surely not in this time of heightened environmental awareness and climate change and what have you. Where's this coming from? Well, I suppose the point I was trying to make, Mick, is all types of housing has a place in society at large, whether that's high-rise developments, whether it's inner city uh, refurbishment, um, whether it's rejuvenating our towns, villages um, and smaller settlements, and also one-off housing does have a part to play in the whole addressing the whole housing crisis. Um, But at the moment, there does seem to be serious issues with people who want to build on their own land in areas where they've lived, potentially their families have lived for generations. Um, And now it seems like you have to, you know, jump over several hoops to even be in with a chance of applying for planning permission, never mind being granted. Yeah, no, I suppose if we take it back a bit and there's a lot of contentious stuff in this whole business of bungalow blitz and what have you. And you go back to the 70s and the proliferation of one-off housing all over the country, particularly in the scenic areas, which arguably they shouldn't be in above all others, but they are. Um, And it's basically an issue that people want to live out in the country in their own home. The problem though, Elaine, then is in terms of sustainability, in terms of services, in terms of transport, security, uh, as people get on health, etc., all of those things. Um, and we see it, for example, in the whole thing about the rollout of the broadband. I mean, proportionately, there's massive amounts having to be spent to get right out into the heart of the country where you've all these one-off houses. And within that even, people will suggest, put people of a, or very interested in the environment in particular, that there is provision there for people, for example, who work the land, and that sort of thing. And should it be wider than that? Well, what's the alternative, Mick? Do we have everyone stuck, as is becoming the case on the eastern seaboard around Dublin, and we have commuter chaos, um, as even now, as we're returning post-COVID um, to normal life or somewhat normal life? Um, you have you know, pressure on services such as water as well in Dublin at the moment. Should everybody live in, in one area, in one city? That's a question. Um, But there is an issue around it. And obviously, we don't want to see this sort of ribbon development. It's horrendous. And I don't in 
for any moment agree with it. And you see it outside a lot of towns and even villages around the country. Um, and that is not to be um, put forward as an ideal or even any sort of a solution. But if we go back to how people in Ireland, in rural Ireland, traditionally lived, you had family hubs essentially out in a townland where you would have perhaps the mother's house, the son might build a house next door, you might have the cousin in the field uh, next to that and perhaps another son. So you'd have a, a hub in a very rural isolated area and that hub would essentially support itself. So you would have Granny there growing up to mind the kids if you needed when you went to work. Granny might take the kids after school. She might collect the kids or granddad for that case. And when those parents got a bit older and needed support themselves, they would have their either their siblings in some cases or their own children or nephews and nieces in very close proximity to them. And that might save them going into a hospital or going into a nursing home. So it actually was saving the state in ways because you had this bubble for childcare and for helping or, or caring for elderly relatives when they got to an age. Um, now, I realise society has changed, but at the same time, if the sons and daughters of people living currently in rural Ireland cannot get planning permission to build close to their family um, and to settle, as I said, where they've settled for generations, then they're going to be forced into the nearest town or village or even further afield. And you have them commuting in and out and people are even more isolated and, you know, rural areas become depleted of people, essentially. Yeah, I mean, there's something that actually, now that you mentioned it, you, you brought it to mind to me, Elaine. I actually knew a family, uh, that hub type of thing you're talking about. Actually, a good friend of mine, he's, he's, some people may have known him. Unfortunately, he's deceased now for a number of years. And that's a man by the name of Billy Flynn, who was a private investigator and who was involved in some of the the major issues in the state in, in a very positive way, uncovering stuff. But Billy... Uh, he lived out there in rural county Mead, actually. And now that you mention it, yeah, there were his his adult uh, children had houses around him, and I remember thinking it was a fantastic setup at the time. But I just wonder how much potential there is for that in today's environment, both in terms of families and in terms of of, of lifestyles and work and what have you. But Sean Kenny, the TD, I think he um he put that proposition to you. you he's quoted in your piece. Yes, Sean Canny, the, the Galway East TD, he was one of, of a number of TDs and local councillors that I spoke to. And he was making the point that even um, he has a constituent actually at the moment um, who is living in Dublin at the moment. He's a young man with a family, but he wants, he's a single or a, a, an only child. He wants to return to the farm to work on the farm that his father is currently farming. He's applied for planning permission twice and has been turned down on the basis that he doesn't live in the locality at the moment. And also there's no proof that he's going to farm the land. So essentially, in order to get over those two hoops in that um, locality, he'd have to come rent a property close to where he wants to build and potentially ask his father to hand him over the land, which is a difficult uh, conversation in some oh. cases with families to have um, yeah. to ask probably a very healthy father to hand over the land at this point in time. Um, and you can just imagine how difficult that that might be for some families. Obviously, it's, it's not 
entirely a, a, a thorny issue for others. But they're the types of hoops that Sean was going on about that have to be jumped through in order to get planning permission. And that's when we're talking about people who have land, whose families own the land and who want to farm the land. If you were of a family um, who, you know, perhaps is not from the locality, <laughs> you have a snowball's chance in hell of getting uh, building on any sort of a, a rural plot in a lot of counties. And it may not be the most correct idea to have, but why are we stopping people just because they grew up in one area from moving and settling in another? Um, are we saying that just because you're lucky or unlucky enough to grow up in inner city Dublin or inner city Limerick or in a large town in Cork that you don't have the right or the ability or shouldn't be given the ability to move out if you want to, to raise a family in a rural location or even take it a step further, Mick, and I'm, I'm only coming up with ideas here, but someone who wants to live off grid and be have a completely alternative lifestyle, doesn't want to hook into the to the modern technology or or even electricity for that matter. They don't have the option if they're from a, an urban area right now. In a lot of cases, it's very difficult um, to build on a greenfield site anyway. Now, there is one um, workaround to this because there are no restrictions on buying property in rural Ireland right now. So if you have the money, you can go ahead and buy any sort of a property, um, whether it's a ruin or a mansion out in the middle of nowhere and set up shop. Um, but if you if you want to build, and obviously there's a massive difference between buying a house that's already built and buying a site, you have to have, in a lot of instances, this famous local needs. Um, so you need to prove that you are uh, a member of the community that you're going to, that you have to, for your work or your life, live in that community and that you're tied to that to that area, essentially. Absolutely, Elaine. I can see where you're coming from in that. But I mean, there's an alternative view that would be this idea of um, the farmer who's the various plots of land and wanting to give it to the kids. And I think possibly in a lot of instances, experience showed that... Uh, what happened then was the adult children themselves, they might be living somewhere else or even abroad, and it just becomes an asset that they sell on to somebody who may have no connection to the land or, or, or need to be living there as opposed to a nearby town at all, you know. So I think that possibly um, comes into play in terms of the thinking behind that one. Yeah, and actually to, to pick up on that, Mick, actually, because I, since I've, I've written the piece, I've actually spoken to a, a lot of people um, Brendan Griffin, the Kerry TD, included in that. And obviously Kerry would have a lot of, uh, it's unlike maybe other areas, it has a lot of holiday homes and second homes, which are not lived in for the vast majority of the year. And that's not what we're talking about here. We don't want uh, a rural Ireland full of houses that are only occupied during the summer months and for the odd bank holiday. That is not a sustainable community and that's not what you want here. Um, but he was saying that perhaps you could put in a clause, um, and he's mentioned it before, that if you're going to build a house in rural Ireland, you have to live in it for seven, ten years. Um, so it is your family home. It's not, as you said, a holiday home. It's not something that you build to make a quick book out of either. Um, that it's it's there because you want to settle in that community and you want to become a part of that community. Very good point. Um, 
And when you say that Kerry's not like other places, I couldn't agree more, Elaine. There's no question in the world about that. <laughs> but the thing about living there for seven or ten years, yeah, that's fine. But how do you police such a thing? Well, that that obviously would be a difficult piece of legislation <laughs> to draft. I mean, it, he takes off after six months or six years. I mean, what happened? You know what I mean? It, it, it would be a tough one to to enforce. Yes, but there's always ways around things and politicians and uh, those in departments are very good at drafting legislation. They'd be a lot better than me, Mick, at this. And I'm sure they'd fi- if the will was there, the way would be there, I'm sure, to draft a nice I'm bill sure up it to, would. to no, come the, up with The other issue you raised there, and this is a, 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 something I'm very interested in myself, is as you say, people can buy property anywhere. And to me, one serious feature of the country today is the towns and villages that are effectively emptied of people. And because they're all living out in the country. And what you have is a scenario whereby towns are literally, um, there's nobody living there. There's a few shops. Everybody uh, accesses them. They have to drive, etc. You can have an argument about rural transport and that sort of thing as well. But particularly at a time when rural Ireland as such is... is, um, in trouble in terms of uh, depopulation, what have you. The notion that you should repopulate the towns and have a scenario whereby people come in and live in the towns again, as they did up till 20 or 30 years ago. I mean, there's positives about that on every level. And, and I, it would strike me that if more emphasis was put into something like that, it, 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 could, really, um, it could really reap rewards. Of course, there'd be problems with it too. Yeah, and I don't think you should necessarily have one without the other. And I know I had a, had a number of people contacting me after I wrote the column saying we should be focusing on inner city areas where there has been a massive decline in population. And I know you recently uh, focused on, on Cork City in one of your podcasts, Mick, um, and the decline in, in people living in the city centre. And that has to be looked at as well. I'm not saying that you should focus on on giving people the opportunity to build one-off houses in rural Ireland and forget about everything else. We do need to look seriously at both our inner cities, our rural towns and our rural villages and trying to encourage a repopulation of these areas. Um, Because as you said, they really are. You go through, especially when you go through some of those Midlands towns that used to be really busy, vibrant trading hubs and they are desolate at this stage it's 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 really sad but I think again it comes money comes into it because if you qualify for these hard to get local needs um in a rural area see and you have the opportunity to build a house you're going to take that ahead of either buying an existing property in rural Ireland or buying a, a property in a rural village or town because it just comes down to finances um the, the cost of buying even a dilapidated wreck is substantially greater than buying a, a greenfield site. And then that's before someone who may get a site because their family already owns it. And if you do decide to take the plunge and buy one of these old buildings, and some of them are really, really architecturally strong, um, significant buildings. We're talking about, you know, Victorian buildings and even um, older again. You're talking about planning restrictions. They may be listed buildings. You may be restricted in even the type of uh, windows that you can put back in or the the type of extension that you can put on. Um, So it can become a bit of a financial drain for a start. And I know the government 
they have been putting a focus on we need to encourage people into rural towns and and rural villages and and they need to be come more vibrant places and you know nicer places to live for people but at the same time if you're not going to give substantial incentives for that to to happen it's all well and good you know writing a policy document after policy document after policy document and encouraging this but it's not going to happen in reality unless there's a real incentive and real support for people. And as well, uh, there's also an issue because I know there was a number of pilot uh, towns and villages chosen a number of years ago now, Boyle and County Roscommon being one of them. And they were asked to look at ways in which they could rejuvenate um, their own rural towns and come up with a blueprint essentially for other towns and villages across the country. And one of the things, one of the issues that that came across in, in all of the pilot towns and villages was ownership. And, you know, there may be a beautiful house lying in the middle of a town or village that hasn't been occupied for 10, 15, 20 years um, and that a family would love to move into. But it's a case that it's tied up in legal issues, that there's issues with wills and that even the local community don't even know who owns it to approach, to buy or to refurbish. Um, so there, it's it's just littered with issues when you go into that sort of an area of doing up properties in, in rural towns and villages. Yeah, you're right. That is a major problem. And the whole thing that's missing there, of course, is political will. And uh, those issues around ownership of properties. Again, you're back to the sacrosanct position of uh, ownership of property in the Constitution uh, with very little uh, regard for how that interacts with the common interest or the public good, even though there, there, there's um, provision for that in the Constitution. It doesn't seem to get much attention by governments any time the two of those are in conflict. Um, while we're talking about land, Elaine, and this is another bugbear of mine. Jeez, I have a few of them today, but this is another one, and that is the whole issue in terms of planning permission and in terms of rezoning in particular. And this is the, the, the situation whereby you were talking about the housing crisis and yet uh, rezoned land suddenly from overnight goes from a situation whereby it might be worth, say, a thousand euro and then it's rezoned for residential and suddenly it's worth 20, 30, 40,000. And that was something that was mooted as being as going to be changed when there were talks uh, to get this coalition going last year. And then suddenly it disappeared. And it would strike me that the problem there is that if you were to go back to the likes of the Kenny report, whereby you said rezoned land would be the, the agricultural value plus 25%, that would hit landowners and, let's face it, farmers in their pocket in a major way. But the purpose of rezoning land is for the, the common good in the first instance anyway, and that's the way it should be. Yet the government backed down once the coalition was formed and uh, anything connected with the Kenya report disappeared. Yes, Mick, and this is one thing that actually the Labour Party brought up um Recently, they have tried to press ahead with the Kenny report for the third time um, and it has been knocking around for many years now and nothing has been moved on it. Um, it's just probably handier for 
parties not to do anything about this. Um, but the whole issue of planning permission as well is being looked at at a local level at the moment. And that's mainly where um, a lot of arguments are happening up and down the country in virtual council chambers at the moment, because obviously they're not meeting um, because of COVID. But the government has given uh, local authorities, had given them initially till this year, but that looks like it's going to be extended again because of COVID to come up with new development plans for the coming years. And local councils are being encouraged to focus more down on a localised level when it comes to planning. Because at the moment, I think the problem in rural Ireland, and we touched on it before with the, the ribbon development issue, is a county like Meath or Kildare or even Louth to a certain extent that borders a large city um, like Dublin, you have the same planning uh, restrictions or planning laws on the eastern side of those counties that are in with commuting distance of Dublin and are very attractive for people wanting to build a one-off house in the countryside but yet able to travel to Dublin for work every day as you have on the outer limits of those counties where you have populations in decline and they're very rural populations that probably need young families to come and settle and keep keep the schools afloat, keep the GA teams afloat. But yet they're being put under the same uh, rules and same restrictions that are rightly now in place in the, the areas that are closer um, to the larger towns and cities or certainly the larger cities. And that's where we've seen in, in the past those ribbon developments spring up and they, they really are a blight, you have to say that. And is that political, Elaine, that they're both treated the same? It just has been done in the past on a county basis. So Meads County Council, for example, or Kildare County Council will come up with their development plan and it'll be um, imposed on the county as an entirety rather than looking at if you're going to take Kildare, parts of East Kildare or South Kildare, which would be very rural and might need the extra boost of population as opposed to those close to Nace or on the eastern limits um, close to Dublin. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. Yeah, and all that, of course, then feeds into the overall housing. I mean, it's just an example of how multi-pronged the housing problem is that at local level, you have those scenarios whereby you seem not to have sensible planning and planning that will encourage proper development and then you have the bigger stuff going on at national level as well. Yes and at national level as well especially with the Green Party in power now um, the environment has been raised as an issue and it is more environmentally draining to build out in the middle of nowhere. As you said Mick you have to bring all the resources whether it's energy whether it's broadband um, water can be an issue as well to the house as opposed to hooking up to a wastewater treatment plant in a local uh, town or village or a, a larger urban hub. But then if we're going to look at that, I think in the last 10 years especially, you could potentially have a passive house that is powered entirely from solar and wind energy there are new um, technologies now talking about reed bed technology um, that deals with your wastewater uh, issue. 
in more environmentally friendly than a septic tank or the traditional septic tank. You could work from home. And when you do need to go to the shops, you can use your electric car. Um, so you could live a very sustainable, very environmentally friendly lifestyle. Uh, it might be a bit of a push still um, and possibly more expensive, but it's possible. And that wasn't possible 10 years ago. So I think as we go on, this environmental argument will subside somewhat because there are new technologies coming on stream. And I think as well, when we're talking about pushing people into, I don't want to use the word pushing people, but when we're asking or encouraging people to move into rural towns and villages instead of building on in their own parish or their own town land, as happened previously, a number of issues come up there because a number of TDs that I spoke to have said that the local villages close to them are already at their limits when it comes to the wastewater treatment plants. So a local developer or builder comes in and wants to build 5, 10, 15 houses and is refused planning permission because Board Panala says that the wastewater treatment systems are not there to provide for any further development. Um, so that investment has not been there to back up this policy of encouraging uh, rural hubs in villages and towns. So it's a catch-22 situation. People can't build in their own land. They can't buy houses. There's no house, new houses available in their local village. Where do they go next? They have to go to the larger town, which is a lot further away, or even a city. Jesus, Lynch, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bleak picture you're painting there. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the choices are go off grid and leave, live up in some Bahan up there on the side of the mountain or immigrate. There's nothing else <laughs> left for us. I have to caveat that with, there, it, there are still houses being built in rural Ireland because I know, <laughs> I know yeah. people will say, well, what about those new houses that I see when I pass every single day? You know, there is construction happening and there is in rural Ireland. People are still getting planning permission but it is a lot more difficult now and the standards are changing and, as I said, the rules and regulations. I know, again, County Meads recently proposed as part of their development plan that you'd have to have 15 acres in order in order to build a house um, on a greenfield site. Now, that that has since been watered down and it looks like they're going to, to take that out of their development plan. It still has to, to be finalised. But as a result of that, proposal being put forward, there's been a 61% increase in planning applications in the past year as people absolutely scrambled to get in before the new measures were brought in. And it's the same in Limerick. There's been arguments in in Loud as well. Um, everywhere where the development plans are being discussed right now, it seems like councillors and those in local areas are really up in arms about this and, and, the, and really don't want the significant changes that have been mooted to be enforced. It'll be interesting also to see whether the planning regulator has anything to say about these things. Yes, definitely. And I know in Kerry, actually, the planning regulator last year came out to say that there have been way too many uh, one-off houses built. I think around 60% of one-off houses in Kerry or houses in general were one-off. Now, that possibly is an exception to the rule and you don't really want to see that happening either and I don't want to be um, cast as someone who's completely anti-building anywhere in a town uh, or a village. I think estates um, and terraced houses and apartments have their place and need to be encouraged. To be honest 
we're in such a predicament when it comes to housing at the moment. We need to build everything we can at the moment to cater for the demand that is there. Um, and that even doesn't even take social housing into account. Yeah, it's a very good point. On the broader front lane, housing, as we say, it is going to dominate the rest of this government's term. Even if one was to think that uh, the current minister, Dara O'Brien, and, and, and the current government got a handle on things, even, you know, in the very best case scenario from their point of view, even if they were to manage that, would the situation be such that they'd be able to reap electoral rewards for it? Or is it, is, is it too late for all that already? Well, I don't think that they're going to succeed in, in turning the tide on this housing crisis in this current dull term. You know, Fine Gael failed to do it in the last two terms in office we're looking like we're getting absolutely nowhere near the targets this year. Now, obviously, COVID comes into it, but we need to be building between 25 and 30,000 houses a year. We've been nowhere near that for the past decade. Um, housing just ground to a halt after the crash and the Celtic Tiger um, when we obviously had a glut of houses and we'd ghost estates that we were knocking down across the country. And now people are saying, if we only had some of those ghost estates, wouldn't mm. they be handy to, to do up and, and turn into actual housing that's really required at the moment? I think what happened is we were building too fast. We suddenly stopped. Absolutely nothing happened. And before we knew it, we had a pent up demand there that wasn't being catered for. And so almost before we started building again, there was a significant backlog and a significant waiting list of people who needed social housing, who wanted to rent and who wanted to buy a house. Um, and I think the backlog is so great now that it will take years, if not decades, to clear it. In that vein, Elaine, with your political analyst hat on, we saw this week... Um, uh, hiking the polls for Sinn Féin on, in the Irish Times MRBI poll to a level I think that they hadn't seen before. I think it's about 31%. Would you attribute any or much of their popularity in that respect to their positioning on housing or alternatively frustration at the government's efforts to tackle the housing crisis? I think, Mick, it has to come into it. You know, Owen over in their spokesperson on housing has been their spokesperson for a long time. He's written the book on housing, literally. Um, he is an expert on housing and has come out, out with policy document after policy document after policy document on the various uh, strands within the housing crisis, whether it's social housing, the rental crisis, homelessness. Um, so and he's a he's a skilled orator on this. He really does connect, I think, with the electorate on this issue that that impacts everyone at this stage, because, as I said, it's it's young professionals trying to rent. It's families trying to size up. It's retirees trying to size down. It's those looking um, or on the social housing waiting list. Um, this transcends all of society. It's not just one specific class, shall we say, um, or group of people that it impacts. It really is a struggle for, for almost everyone um, in our country at the moment. So I think definitely Sinn Féin have taken advantage of that and are really sending out a strong message. Now again, though, 
Whether they'd be able to solve it, certainly they wouldn't be able to solve it overnight if they went into government. For a start, you know, a massive chunk of a very, very significant housing budget now, three billion goes on renting private sector houses. So you can't just stop that. You can't turn the tap off on that in the morning because if you were do, to do so, you'd have people out on the street. So you have this predicament of a government trying to build as many social houses as possible because they are the long-term, more affordable, more f- sustainable option and the solution to our housing crisis in a lot of instances. And they're they're weighing that up against they have to spend an actually an increasing amount on rents to keep people out of homelessness through HAP and through RAS. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot in it. And uh, I have to say, Elaine, it was an eye-catching column uh, that you wrote earlier this week in The Examiner. One-off housing bans are stopping families from building communities. Recommended to anybody, folks. It's available there on the Irish Examiner website. Elaine, thank you very much for joining us today. I'd also like to thank JJ Vernon, our engineer. Thank you, folks, for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Staying by the wall. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.